Good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. If you walked in and were confused by the setup, let me let you know that there are no assigned seats. Um, so you can, you can pick a chair anywhere you want to sit down, even if it looks like it might belong to somebody else already. Just sit there. Make them move. I have just a couple of quick announcements that I'd like to give to you, and then uh, we will begin our, our time of worship. That's okay. Okay, the first, first announcement that I have is, is coming up uh, on June 9th. Our women are, are uh, beginning a new summer study. Um, you can find the details about that on uh, Church Center or through the website on the Bible study page, and you can get signed up there um, to participate with them. Also, um, for our kids, K through 5, we have a kids camp coming up in July that you can register for, and they are also in need of volunteers and supplies. Those details are also on Church Center. Um, and through our website. So please check those out if you are interested and you can get signed up in either of those places. Um, the last thing is we are going to celebrate communion this morning. So if you manage to make it in the room without communion elements, you can find them in the back um, in between these uh, or, or back in the entryway back here um, where, uh, where Matt and of you is standing waving his hand. So please be, be sure and go grab those if you have not already. Otherwise, um, let's stand together and we'll begin our time of worship. Cries, holy is the Lord. Let the 
joy, singing with one voice, let the people cry, holy, holy Lord. Every creature sing praises to the King, all creation cries, holy is the Lord.
Stay here, washed it away. 
stand in him complete Jesus died my soul to save my lips shall still for the life that you have given for us. We thank you for loving us. We ask that you would be honored because of our heart's desire to be near and like you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. And if you were one of our kiddos, K through 5, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. privilege of observing communion today. We're going to do that after the uh, message. And before we do that, I want to acknowledge that our hearts are heavy. It's Memorial Day weekend. That's enough reason right there that uh, we know or can remember those who have given their lives in service to our country that we might have freedoms just like this one here to freely gather and to freely worship and we are very thankful for those that gave their life that we might be free it sounds kind of like jesus doesn't it And we mourn with the city of Uvalde. Uh, 21 people lost their lives as evil was unleashed this week. And we struggle with the inconsistencies as to how God has revealed himself in scripture and how this fallen world acts at times.
And so we want to pray for their comfort and their healing. And then one of our own, we weep with those that weep. Martha Waithoffer lost her daughter to suicide on May 14th. And she's our, a member of our church family. And so we want to pray for her as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer because that's where our strength is. That's where our peace and our joy is. And this world needs him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are inscrutable in your ways and your knowledge and your wisdom knows no depths. It is limitless. You are sovereign. And there are things going on in the world that we don't understand. You are precious to us, and in times like these, we are driven to cling to you in greater and greater ways. Thank you that you are our rock. Thank you that we can take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Thank you that you are a very present help in time of trouble. Lord, we are grateful for a country that you have allowed us to live in where people have readily given their lives, men and women, to preserve the freedoms that you designed into our DNA. And we are grateful and we are thankful. And we ask that you would comfort those families that today are observing Memorial Day in light of having lost a loved one. We pray for the people of Uvalde, Lord. We cannot begin to imagine the pain and the loss, the anger, the sheer insanity of what they are experiencing. But you know, Jesus, and you are there. And we ask that your comfort would be tangible and real, that your grace and your mercy would flood the city, the people, that even today, as more people are driven into your presence in churches, that you would be magnified and honored, and that by connecting to you, people would experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray that your people there would be strong encouragers, and that you would sustain all of them. Lord, we pray the same for Martha. You tell us that your grace is sufficient that your power is perfected in weakness. I pray that Martha would be fully aware of your presence that she would continue to be honest in her grief, 
I thank you, Lord. For a church family that has embraced her. We pray for her healing and for Will and Larry and Amanda. All the extended family and, and certainly those who knew her well. Lord, all of these things remind us that we need you. And the things of this world are somewhat limited in passing. And so we don't want to boast in our wisdom and our might and our wealth. But we want to know, boast that we know and understand you. That you delight in hesed love and justice and righteousness. We are your people. We don't want to be stalemated by all that is going on in our world and, and everything that we're experiencing mentally and emotionally. We want to continue to follow you with a loving obedience. And so we pray for your strength. And even now, we pray for your insight as we open your word and cling to words of truth and grace that are eternal. Thank you for being here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Thank you all for praying. So our hearts are heavy, and it's a good day to open uh, to a psalm of lament. We're going to turn to Psalm 22, a well-known psalm. You'll recognize it because... If you don't know it from the book of Psalms, the Psalter, the songbook of the Old Testament, you will recognize it from the words of Jesus on the cross. This psalm was essentially his meditation. This psalm was essentially his script on the cross. So we're going to look at Psalm 22. It's a psalm of David. And these words that we're going to see today describe a Roman execution, something that was unknown in the days of David. He's writing about 1000 BC. Roman execution came in hundreds of years later. We know that there's typically in any of the Psalms, but especially David's Psalm, there's a, an event or an experience in his life that he's going through. Sometimes we're told that at the beginning in the uh, superscript. Sometimes we can tell it just by studying scripture. Uh, we don't know of anything in David's life that is this of this magnitude. And so to do it justice, we're just going to look at it in terms of Jesus Christ. Because David is speaking prophetically here, and I can't speak to his situation or his context. We don't know that. We're not told that. But as we go into communion, I want us to think about God's word, and I want us to think about how um, David has written this so that the son of David might fulfill it. And of course, all that happened under the guidance and superintendents of the Holy Spirit. We're starting a sermon series this summer on Psalms, soundtrack for everyday life. The Psalms are, are beautiful, they're honest, and they're raw. 
and I, I love them for that aspect because they are authentic. And we can gain a lot by how people approach the Lord, by what we learn about the Lord's character and his attributes and his strength, and what we learn about communicating with the Lord, and also what we learn about what we need in community. Because these were songs written for the community to sing and to gather around. structure of a lament psalm <clears throat> is such that it typically starts out with a cry of desolation, a cry for help, and then some of the condition is stated of the person writing the psalm. And then there's typically some confidence expressed in the Lord and, and even a petition and then typically it resolves to praise. And uh, I hope that we can do a study on lament uh, in the fall, because I think it's very powerful in addressing our needs uh, for healing in grief and in anxiety and in anger and in different things that we experience almost on a daily basis. But that's to come in the future. Today we're going to look at this lament psalm. It has three cycles of lament or crying out to God followed by confidence and trust. And it's very typical of lament and that's why it is so raw and so honest. It goes back and forth. And whether there is confusion or clarity all of it is worship. That's one of the hardest things for us to grasp. We think that when we are anxious or angry or confused or in doubt, that that can't be worship. It is if you're communicating with God. And what we see in a lament psalm is the person is hanging on to God. We're going to see that in Jesus today. We see it in David's other psalms. Now, the structure might make a, a lament psalm seem very orderly and nice, but it's just raw and, and transparent, as I said. We also learn a great deal in Psalm 22, more than we want to know, actually, about what our sin cost Jesus on the cross, what your sin cost Jesus, and, and your sin, and your sin, our sin, and all the sin of the world, all the sins of the world. We get a picture, an under, a greater understanding of what this cost Jesus. On the cross, Jesus bore the penalty for our sin, and he died in our place. Jesus' sufferings for us reached the climax on the cross. Now, Scripture tells us that there are at least four areas of pain that Jesus suffered on the cross. And we're not going to make this some kind of psychological mumbo jumbo, but we are going to look at the Psalm 22 with this lens in mind, this, this looking through the pain that Jesus experienced. And so we're going to see the pain of bearing the wrath of God. Jesus did that alone. We're going to see the pain of bearing or taking on sin and the guilt of sin and being liable for the payment of sin. And we're going to take a look at the emotional and physical pain that Jesus endured on the cross and experienced. And we know that he did all of this for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame. First thing we're going to look at in verses 1 Five is that first cycle, the pain of bearing the wrath of God. 
Psalm 22 starts with the type of cry with which we're all familiar at some point in our life. You may be in it right now, but it's that cry that, that originates in our organs from deep within our body, and it's expressed loudly and often confusedly through our vocal cords. That's how Psalm 22 starts out for us. Jesus claimed the opening lines of Psalm 22 as his own, and this is what he cried out in verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. These words make up the fourth saying of Christ on the cross. They are the first words that he says after the darkness hits the land. That was from noon to three. And we are getting close toward the end of that three-hour period. We're told that in the gospel accounts, that it, this was voiced by Jesus toward the end of that three-hour period. And that gives us a little bit of context for what he is experiencing here. It was dark upon the land. Jesus felt like it was night. And so he says, I have no rest, even though it's night and we would normally be asleep. Why would Jesus believe he was forsaken? To put it simply, God the Father poured out the fury of his wrath against sin on the cross. Jesus became the object of an intense hatred of sin and vengeance against sin, which God had patiently stored up since the beginning of time. God had not simply forgiven sin and forgotten about the punishment in generations past. He had forgiven sins and stored up his righteous anger against those sins. But at the cross, the fury of all that stored up anger was placed on Jesus Christ. We're told in Scripture that the sacrifices looked forward to that day of the one time sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus bore the wrath of God against sin. And this brings up an issue, an issue that many scholars refer to as the impenetrable, impenetrable, <laughs> look at the English teacher when I said that, mystery, impenetrable mystery. Why would we say that? Because we, have, we just can't even begin to fathom this relationship among the Trinity that is perfect and unconditionally loving and, and wise and, and acting as one with three persons for all eternity. And in the midst of this, the wrath of God is poured out on sin. And so I believe, and I think scripture and theology would tell us this, that Jesus being God could not be separated from God. He could not be taken away from the Godhead. But I do believe there's a separation of fellowship here. I do believe that the Father turned his head away. And I know that Jesus had never known the silence of heaven. He's the one that all throughout John says, not only do I say what the Father wants me to say and do what the Father wants me to do, but when I call out, the Father answers. That's what he told his disciples. That's what he told his followers. That's how he preached and taught. The Father cannot look upon evil. He cannot be associated with sin. 
Jesus was the focal point of the Father's wrath because he bore the sin of the world. The Father, the one who had always been the source of his strength, unfailing, and his unlimited reservoir of joy in this world, turned away from Jesus. Jesus suffered separation from the Father in some form. I want you to consider the profound fear that would arise for you and me if we were to bear the furious wrath of God for an instant. We can't even begin to imagine, right? But Jesus didn't bear it for an instant. He didn't bear it for a minute or 10 minutes or an hour. It was hour upon hour. That's what our sin cost Jesus. That's what he did for us. Hour after hour it went on. The dark weight of sin and the deep wrath of God poured over Jesus in wave after wave. So Jesus cries out with a cry of desolation. It's not a cry of despair. The question does not mean, why have you left me forever? That's not what Jesus is saying. He knew that he would suffer. He knew that he would die. He knew that he would rise again. These were all in his multiple passion predictions, right? So what he told his disciples, they didn't remember it. But he was clear, and we have those accounts in the gospel. He didn't have to wonder why he was dying. He's the one that said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and, and to give my life a ransom for many. He knew that this was going to climax at the cross. But he cried out in true lament form. He calls out and says, God, I've been calling you and you have not answered me. When will you deliver me? He cries out in great pain. And even though he knew all those things, it didn't lessen the torment for him. He knew he was not abandoned forever by the Father. In his human nature, he knew that he would have to bear our sin to suffer and to die. But in his human consciousness, Jesus did not know how long this suffering would go or how bad it would be. Following his cry of anguish, David offered words of confidence. So here we have that swing from lament to trust. And he uses here what Michael Card calls the formula of remembrance. The person in distress recalls God's goodness in their life. Here's what David wrote and Jesus meditated upon. Psalm 22, verses 3 through 5. Yet you are holy. There's a recognition, right? You are holy. You cannot look upon sin. Oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. He knows the Father has not given up the throne. In you, our fathers trusted, they trusted you, and you delivered them. That gives him hope. To you, they cried out and were delivered. In you, they trusted and were not disappointed. These words are an expression of trust. Jesus wants to collect himself and recall that God is good and that he does answer prayer and that he does deliver. And so he's meditating upon that. God had answered prayers of deliverance for the men and women of Israel. How much more for God the Son would he answer that prayer?
meditating on the faithfulness of God reminded him that God does not disappoint. God does show up. Those who lament often cycle back and forth between these cries of loneliness and assertions of trust. And there is a sense in which these words of confidence could also be read as an accusation. And the pain of the lamenter, you showed up for them. Why haven't you shown up for me? We do that sometimes, don't we? If we're honest with God, we, we tell him. Why haven't you answered my prayer? I've even tried to pray it the way you tell us to pray. The suffering of Jesus is captured in the opening lines of this psalm. Our sin cost Jesus unhindered fellowship with the Father as he bore the wrath of God on sin. In the next section, we get an idea of the pain of Jesus in relationship to bearing the guilt of sin. Verses 6 through 11 of Psalm 22, we see the pain of bearing the guilt of sin. Psalm 22 is a, a marvelous text with its raw honesty. And the psalm here describes how a person who is hurting really feels. It, it moves back and forth between hurt and trust. And that's because the hurting believer is still trusting. And the trusting believer can still hurt. This is so much how we are. Jesus was trusting and he was hurting on the cross that day. The pain of his suffering, the guilt of sin was dehumanizing. So he cries out in verse 6 of Psalm 22, but I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Bearing the guilt of sin, Jesus felt like less than a man. He felt like a worm, a wretch, if you will. Isaiah would go on to say in Isaiah 53, another passage that is marked by this psalm, that Jesus was marred in his appearance. He was disfigured. He was unrecognizable. A shell of himself. Well, the sneerings and the mockings, which so clearly took place around the, the uh, cross, Matthew 27, Mark 15, show up in this psalm. And we see that in verses 7 and 8. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head. That's such a great Jewish saying. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. When you read in the gospel accounts of the crucifixion, you hear the soldiers saying that. You hear the people mocking Jesus this way. And you hear the religious leaders, the high priest even saying, let God save him if he is who he says he is. Their actions are actions of disgust. Their comments are insults. The people of Israel did these things at the cross. Jesus endured more than just the jeers and the taunts of those around him, though. For Jesus, the psychological pain of bearing the guilt for our sin was even worse. In our experience as followers of Jesus, we know how it feels when we know that we've sinned. And things aren't right. Things aren't as they should be. Things are broken in our family fellowship with the Lord. The weight of guilt can be heavy on our hearts. And in fact, the more we grow in holiness as God's children, the more we feel that way when we sin. 
and we hold on to sin. The more intensely we feel this instinctive revulsion against evil. Well, Jesus was perfectly holy. He hated sin with his entire being, and so the thought of evil and, and sin contradicted everything in his character. Far more than we do, Jesus rebelled against evil. But here it is, it's all placed on him. This is what the Father did. He took our sin and put it on Jesus. This is some of what our sin cost him. Scripture makes it clear in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Paul wrote this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus never committed a sin. He'd never broken Torah. He'd kept the inner essence of God's laws to perfection. He was made to be sin itself as he hung on the cross that day. He bore our sins, and he bore them alone. This is our Jesus. The lament swings toward trust again. We're in that second cycle. Earlier, he'd spoken of the history of God's people, the Israelites, and how God showed up. Now he speaks to his own experience in his humanity and the trust of God. We see this in verses 9 and 10. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. He goes back to his birth. Job did that, didn't he? In his life experience with God and questioning God and lamenting. In his case, he said, I wish I'd never been born. But in these words, Jesus affirms the, the lifelong relationship he has had with the Father. So a relationship that began at birth and carried on all the way to this point on the cross. Earlier, Jesus had meditated on God's faithfulness to others, and here he does it on God's faithfulness to himself. And I think there's an interesting point that Michael Card makes in terms of lament and how we cry out. He says, all of us go back to our birth and lament. What's the first lesson we learn? That if we scream long enough, somebody's going to show up to deliver us, to rescue us. And that's what we see Jesus crying out here. I tried that illustration on someone else, and I was told that in these days of scheduled baby raising, we don't, we don't rescue when they cry out. But I don't know. It's supposed to be humor. <laughs> it's a heavy day. The lament goes to trust. He's expressed trust in God. He recalls God's faithfulness. He expects God to show up. And so now he's going to ask of God. He's going to make a clear petition. Everything else has been stating his confusion, crying out for help, accusing God, letting God know this is what he's done and God hasn't been there. And so in verse 11, he is going to make a petition in the midst of his desolation. He says this, be not far from me, for trouble is near. It's all around me, and there is none to help. Jesus is reminding God that he is alone. That he is bearing 
the wrath of God on his own, that he's bearing the guilt of sin on his own. This is what Jesus has done for us, and this is what our sin cost him. The suffering of Jesus continues through the pain of bearing the guilt of sin. And in this next section that we're going to look at, the final section, we're not going all the way to the end of Psalm 22. We're going just to verse 21. The first half has to do with the death, the crucifixion of Christ. Verses 22 to 31 are glorious. They have to do with the resurrection. But we're going to stop at verse 21. And in this final section, we see the pain Jesus felt emotionally and physically in his death on the cross. Verses 12 to 21, the emotional and physical pain of the cross, the pain of bearing the wrath of God and the absolute evil of our sins taking on was aggravated by the emotional and physical pain that Jesus faced again alone. Jesus' friends fled him, but his enemies remained. And so we're going to see in verses 12 and 13 that because of the rejection he faced and experienced with his friends, all of us have experienced that at, at some level, but nothing compared to what Jesus did. We're going to see what it's like to be on the cross alone. Looking around, he saw his enemies, and he described them as wild animals. We see that in verses 12 and 13. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. Later on, Jesus is going to mention the wild dogs, the kind that hang out at the city dump, but attack at will. These animals, lions and bulls and dogs, all wild, all rip and maul, they all destroy. And that's the experience Jesus is having emotionally as he looks at those around him who would insult him and mock him, those who have nailed him to this cross, those who have flogged him with whips. These animals became metaphors for the brutality of the soldiers the insults of the mockers. Not only did he face emotional pain, but he faced physical pain. As I said, these words of David describe a crucifixion, a Roman crucifixion. One more, in a very sad and tragic way, one more beautiful example of God's word being true. Prophetically, These words are written a thousand years before Christ lived. Isaiah 53, 700 years before Christ lived. And that they describe so clearly and carefully what Messiah experienced on the cross. We can trust God's word. Psalm 22 in these verses in this section almost reads like an eyewitness account from the Gospels. Jesus meditated on these words, and having described the scene around him, he looks within himself, and he, he says this in verses 14 through 18, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay in me the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. 
They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. It's a public execution. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now, every one of us here are familiar with those words from the Gospels. These are written by David a thousand years prior under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, prophetically speaking about Jesus, and they are descriptive of a man being crucified, stripped of his clothing, placed on a cross. Nails are driven through hands and feet. And as he hung between heaven and earth, his body is dehydrated. There's an intense thirst that takes over. And the end of all of it is the dust of death. These words give us more insight than the Gospels do. The Gospels never tell us that he was pierced in his hands and feet. This is where we get that from Psalm 22. We know that Jesus showed the scars to his disciples. But Psalm 22 is where we're told that's what the soldiers did. And then in the strength of his body, like ocean waves that recede from the sand and, and wax that melts in a candle, Jesus' strength is fading away. And he becomes dried out and brittle like a piece of broken pottery. This is our Jesus. He's on the cross and fully aware of the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual pain that he is experiencing. And he's meditating on Psalm 22, which gives him words for it. Jesus prays. And when we are confused by our pain and attempting to reconcile God as he has revealed himself with our circumstances, we must pray. Uh, I like a post that Toby Mac had on Instagram this week. It just was very simple in his poster. It said, when the pain is deep, deep prayer is needed. Those are good words of wisdom for all of us. They are the experience of Jesus on the cross. And so in verses 19 to 21, Jesus goes in to a time of petition and he cries out for help he says this but you O lord be not far off O you my help hasten to my assistance deliver my soul from the sword my only life from the power of the dog save me from the lion's mouth from the horns of the wild oxen you answer me Jesus is crying out for help. He's not asking to be spared from it. He's not being asking to be taken down from the cross. He's asking to be sustained through the pain. These events and these words took, near, took place near the end of the darkness as time approached 3 o'clock on Friday. Finally, there came a time when Jesus knew that the suffering was nearing completion. I guess the fury of God was lessened. He could feel the weight of sin abating. Whatever it was, Jesus knew. And he knew that all that remained was to yield up his spirit to the Heavenly Father and die. And the first thing he did was to cry out, It is finished. 
this payment is complete. And what that means is that you and I can be forgiven of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ because he died in our place for our sins on the cross. He paid our penalty. He rose again three days later, victorious over sin and death, and he offers us the free gift of eternal life to everyone who simply receives the gift of salvation. There is nothing we can do. We could never do what Christ did on the cross for us. And the good news is we don't have to because he did that for us in our place. And so we simply trust him as our sinless substitutes. And we receive the free gift of eternal life. Jesus had the shout of victory. It is finished. Payment for sin was complete. And then he cried out, into, my hand, into your hands I commit my spirit to the Father. And what he was doing was he was releasing his life. He is the one who went to the cross voluntarily. He had told the people in the Gospel of John that his life would not be taken away, that he would give it freely. And he did that out of his love for you and me to pay the penalty that we could not pay. This is our Jesus, his great love for, for us. The psalm of lament is extremely moving. We get a blow-by-blow -blow account of Jesus on the cross without the gore of explaining the, the physical body on, held by nails, trying to breathe a back that has been whipped, scratching against the cross. What we do get is a, a glimpse of what our sin costs Jesus. And two attributes of God really jump out at us here like diamonds on black velvet. And they are the love of God and the justice of God. God is love. We know that, right? And we know that in his love... He had the plan of redemption. But we also know that God is justice. He did not ignore sin or the fact that it had to be paid for. And so Jesus bore the wrath of God's sin. He satisfied the wrath of God that he might be just and, and stay just, but also be the justifier of all who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And the supreme manifestation of his love took place on the cross. And so we see his justice and his love coming together on our behalf as a sinless substitute to pay a debt that we owed but we could not pay. And hopefully we are moved not just with sadness or even more questions, but hopefully with great gratitude. And hopefully in a way that draws us toward Jesus with greater worship and greater love for him in a way that we desire to serve him, to surrender to him in whatever way he calls us, whatever way he wants to use us in this world. I love the words of Isaac Watts' hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. He closes it with this line, love so amazing, love so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. I think all of us would say amen to that 
after we look at what Jesus experienced on our behalf and the life that he offers to us. Today we're going to observe communion. And so we're going to transition from God's word and looking at that to taking the elements together. So I invite you to grab your wafer and cup and begin to pull back the flap on the wafer. If you did not yet get the elements there in the back table there, and we're going to hold this wafer together. I would like to read the words of Jesus the night before he went to the cross. And before we do that, I'd like to give all of us a few moments just to respond to Jesus as we look at his meditation of Psalm 22 on the cross, as you consider his work for you and what your sin cost him. So talk to him. It might be out of gratitude. It might be to confess sin. It might be to recommit in the service. Let's do that for a few moments. Then I'll close in prayer, and then we'll take the wafer together. Lord Jesus, the, <laughs> the gravity, the weight, weightiness, the intensity of your death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, breaking the power of sin in the lives of all who trust you. We just can't imagine. But we thank you. With the simple words of thank you, we are filled with gratitude. And we would ask for the grace as you continue your work in our lives to respond to you with a thankful life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Taking the bread, this is what Jesus said in Luke 22. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And then let's prepare the cup. this and in the same way Jesus took the cup and after they had eaten he said this this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood let's take the cup together thank you Jesus for this ordinance that you've given us 
to remember you and to proclaim your death until you return. In your precious name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me?
Good morning, or really, I guess it's now afternoon. Good afternoon. My name is Dick Norman. I'm one of the elders here, and we want to take a few moments uh, in, in this time and give our annual report information. So I ask you to, um, I think the ushers, somebody's going to start handing out uh, that information, and that'll come around as, as we're speaking, but uh, so I just want to let you know that's, that's what that's about. And then uh, additionally, as a, as a part of our time here together, uh, at this point, I'm going to dismiss any reading of the minutes from a previous. And uh, so that's it for me. That's my part. And now I'm turning it over to Dave. <laughs> as if we couldn't get enough into our service today. Um, but this is our annual report, and, and so it's part of our Constitution, and we appreciate you being here for it. We're going to uh, keep it as small as possible. And uh, I did want to start off by uh, saying Academy must be very happy today. <laughs> I'm slow, but I caught on. Uh, so here's what I get to do. I get to do, you know how the Israelites celebrated all throughout the Old Testament for everything and anything, certainly for the feasts, but just anytime God answered prayer or he moved for them. And so that's one of the things I get to do today. I'm going to do that. Steve is going to bring uh, the necessary financials that you're getting handed out now. And uh, so I hope this just fills you with gratitude. And, um, and, and we had a long list. I had to cut it back a little bit. Um, but this is what we would celebrate in terms of God's work here. Um, and, and, and time doesn't allow everything, but um, I do trust that you're celebrating within your own uh, relational discipleship and within your own communities. So here's uh, how I would give thanks to the Lord, and I would invite you to, through some of these highlights, these are just general highlights, but certainly the beautiful decor uh, throughout the building is just phenomenal. Jenny Craig has overseen uh, that, and she's had some very earnest workers, and then a lot of other people have thrown in with her. And so uh, we want to recognize that because it's beautiful, and we're very thankful. And um, the coffee corner is part of that, the welcome wall, uh, all of these great uh, things. Um, the upgrade, uh, there's been an upgrade of, of audiovisual in the student ministries room, and that's huge. Uh, it, it furthers their ministry and their ability to uh, teach and disciple, and it's also a place that we use for memorial services and occasionally uh, small weddings. Um, Bookkeeping software, I don't know if, if Steve is going to mention this, but I'm going to say it because he has put in hundreds and hundreds of hours this year, uh, months and months, and I'm very thankful for that, Steve. As he and Craig Mason, Craig joined uh, Dick Ainsworth. We're very thankful for Craig and Dick as bookkeepers, and uh, they've done some phenomenal uh, work and do on a weekly basis. Uh, they are switching software with Steve, and so it's been a lengthy process, and we're very thankful for that. I'm also thankful 
thankful for Church Center app and for the way that people are using that. It's becoming more woven into the fabric of our church family life. It has a directory, has events. I just see people using it all the time, and that's a great thing. One of the things we completed this year was a staff handbook. Uh, that's a huge deal internally to the staff. Uh, the roof was sealed, and so we see less tiles with uh, rain dripping through. And, uh, and then Jim Mayfield has just done phenomenal work changing lighting out throughout the building. Uh, taking out ballast, rewiring them, and putting LEDs. Um, and, and so we're very thankful for Jim. I saw him earlier. Thank you, Jim, for all of your work. And I know it's ongoing. Um, I wanted to refer to some of the goals that we mentioned last year at this time. And uh, one of the things that we did was to identify key elements of discipleship. They were trying to trickle down into different um, areas, uh, small groups, and, and things like that. That's an ongoing process. We also incorporated the shape surveys uh, to help people better learn how to, to give themselves to Christ and his body through his service. And, and Matt Ward did a great job of disseminating that through all the ABFs. He taught uh, core classes for us and took them to each one. Uh, in our marketing, one of our goals was to get a new billboard. And Chris, uh, Craig, and, and his team uh, did that. And they're working on all kinds of stuff for signage and, and all of that to come. But we're very thankful that we have a billboard out here. Has anybody seen the billboard, by the way? Okay, about a third of us. So as you exit today, just look in the side of the feeder. Uh, it's been there for years, and you quit looking at it because we had one that had faded to white. And um, so that's why it's worth celebrating. Um, we, we internally we incorporated, incorporated an elder-led staff-run structure that includes authority and operating functions. And then big staff has come out of that where we try to meet with all the ministry leaders. And so you can see how that'll help us better sync up ministries, keep our focus on uh, the mission and vision that the Lord has given us here. Um, so we're excited about that. Those are the ways that goals have been met. Uh, ways that we served this year and enjoyed fellowship and community. The Giving Tree it was about another nine. Uh, eight, eight or nine thousand dollars that you guys gave in terms of gifts to uh, children at Parmley. And one of the things the outreach team did for us this year, I hope you got to participate in this, was uh, that we got to deliver to the families. And so you know how relational we like to be, and we think that softens hearts for the gospel. Um, that gave us an opportunity to get out into the community. We weren't just dropping off at the, at the school. And, and thank you for all of those that were involved there, and especially for the outreach team. Uh, love does speaking about the the uh, outreach team a three-day ministry and serving people within the church but also mainly with ministry affiliates like um, under over and all the king's horses pacn and a mobile market um, and upcoming they they are working on a new uh uh, relationship with Bridgeway um, and, and just have a, a really solid team. They meet monthly. Uh, the women's retreat uh, was a big um, uh highlight uh, this year uh, for our women, as well as their uh, formal afternoon tea this spring. And so we're very thankful for that. And then let me close with ways that uh, the table for transformation was set uh, through different intentional relational uh, discipleship. Uh, one way was through the hire of Adam. Uh, as our children's pastor, we're very thankful for uh, Adam and him uh, being here and uh, discipling our children to Jesus and overseeing that. And for the kids' leadership team that have joined him. They've, they're already hit the ground running, and that's very exciting. Um, implementing vision uh, for the children's ministry and all kinds of specific things. Um, we've been able to 
start a youth pastor search. Um, and, and realistically, the search firm tells us we should have some names in August and uh, that likely we would uh, be able to hire uh, sometime in September, October. Uh, the Thursday night men's study has really developed a, a, a great deal of consistency and community, and that's been an exciting uh, thing to see uh, in terms of relational discipleship. Uh, Chris, again, and the worship team have done phenomenal work just in polishing up the live stream through YouTube and Facebook and uh, being able to spread uh, the message here around. Encourage Her is a new ministry that started up this year that has really begun to um, deal on a deeper level with women each month and some of their needs and, and uh, pointing them to Jesus. And then uh, our children's servants, uh, they were just phenomenal. You were just phenomenal. Uh, so Mary had equipped many of them and, and uh, many had committed for four months last June when uh, Mary retired and moved on to Coleman and um, and things just kept dragging on and, and each month they would say well I'll give you another month and then even in December uh, some of them said hey I got to drop out now start of the new year and other people jumped right in so we have been so blessed by really quality people quality ministry in our children's area from June to January and, and that's what allowed um, Adam to uh, hit the ground running so I'm very thankful uh, I see some of your faces here very thankful for that work. And then also with our adult student leaders, uh, our volunteers, just incredible discipleship uh, with the, our uh, students uh, in the small groups, the way you guys help them process God's word and uh, live in a culture that's very much estranged uh, from Jesus. And, and so we have been extremely blessed in those two areas to have volunteers that show up weekly uh, prepared and show up to love on our children and our students, and I'm extremely grateful for that. So I'm going to turn it over to Steve for uh, the financial report. Okay, thanks, Dave. Um, the ushers have just passed out a uh, sheet like this, uh, which is, uh, I'll go over here in just a minute. Um, these are our finances and our, our looking forward ministry plan for this next fiscal year. Our fiscal year, if you don't know this already, runs from uh, June through May. Oh, uh, our fiscal year runs from June through May. So come next Wednesday on June 1st, we will be at the beginning of a new fiscal year. And during this last fiscal year, as Dave mentioned, we've made a change in our bookkeeping uh, system. And we've gone from a, uh, a very basic package of bookkeeping that we've been used for, using for a long, long time to a more sophisticated, uh, detailed-oriented uh, piece of software that is, was made specifically for churches. And, um, and it's uh, been a long haul to make that transition and make sure that we've got things correct. So like Dave said, it's taken hundreds of hours. I also want to thank Dick uh, Ainsworth and Craig Mason for the hard work that they continue to put into that. They've actually had to keep two sets of books this year, uh, one in the old system and one in the new system so that we can make this transition beginning on Wednesday. And uh, it's in good shape, and I think that we are ready to go on that. Okay, 
So every year we, uh, we develop a ministry plan. And the ministry plan differs from a budget in that um, we, in a couple of ways. Um, one, we don't know what our source of income or what the amount of income is going to be. Our income comes from y'all. We, uh, we work with that, um, and it's our only source of uh, income, that being the givings and donations that, that you make uh, to keep this church um, uh, running, basically. We trust in God to uh, uh, bring in what we need. Also, we don't spend what we don't have. We don't go out and get a loan if we see a, uh, uh, a shortfall in some places. Uh, again, um, we trust in God to give us what we need for every individual year. So um, if you take a look at your handout, uh, what we've got here is um, a review of last year's ministry plan. You see the 2021 uh, numbers in the second column the actual year-to-date numbers in the middle column, and on the far right, we've got what we're projecting for this coming year. So uh, along the left side, you've got uh, all the different uh, account groups, um, categories, if you will, that uh, we use. And behind almost every one of those lines is you know, dozens of individual items that uh, we've been given. Uh, to put this together. So obviously the, uh, the top one, uh, administrative uh, expenses is our biggest expense. Secondly would be our building expense. That's the physical plant, keeping it up and running. Third would be our other expenses. And that number, that 87,744 is our building payment for the year. So we put that much into this uh, just to pay for this building uh, each and every year. And the fourth is our missions. Uh, and it's the last line on there. Um, we support many missions worldwide, local and uh, countrywide and worldwide as, as a church body. So those numbers are uh, listed there. So part of this is the transition. You'll see there's a footnote. Um, we kind of rearranged some of the categories in that, and so going forward, I think it'll be a little more consistent um, than what you see here in that actual column middle to date. So you can see what was given. You can take a look at the breakdown on that. And then on the far right, our co uh, far right column, we've got uh, our ministry plan on how we foresee we would like to spend uh, your gifts to this church. And um, that, you know, so that's the layout that we've got here. I guess I would like to thank you for your continued giving. I know that the price of groceries, the price of gas, and just about everything else that we're dealing with is going up. I will say that over the last few months, our giving is trending down a little bit. So um, I would just like to. Thank you that, uh, for your continued giving this coming year and to make so we can make this uh, church, God's church, and um, we can uh, reflect his image in everything that we do here. And that's what I've got.
Okay, stand up with me. Right this second.
Thank you for being with us this morning.